The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, back from my week in Maine, refreshed and ready for fall weather. Today's guest is no stranger to the eco right, Utah Congressman John Curtis, who first appeared on this show in 2020 when we were just babies in our first season, has been a strident advocate, not just for raising the issue of climate change within the Republican Party, but for creating a safe space for conservatives new to the conversation to both learn and interact. We will get an update from him on the Conservative Climate Solutions Caucus and chat about all things Utah coming up next. Listeners, welcome back for our second appearance by, I think I'm going to just call you my favorite active (laughs) congressman, um, Congressman John Curtis from Utah. Of course, my favorite former would be um, uh, Bob Inglis, who's also (laughs) with us for the conversation. So two of my favorites here with me today. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. So good to be with you. So, um, Congressman, I was just noting um, before we started recording that Utah has been in the middle of some hot summer weather, 34 triple digit days in Salt Lake City this year alone. You know, um, it's it's getting everybody to pay attention to it. Of course, this impacts uh, the drought uh, that we're in, forest fires, uh, a topic that's uh, becoming a national topic is our Great Salt Lake uh, drying up. And um, certainly um, those dry, those dry, hot days are contributing to a lot of issues here for us here in Utah. Yeah, and I and I do think that there is something about experiencing impacts of climate change to really bring home these trends that are happening. So not that you want people to have to experience this, but um, you know, it's it's happening everywhere. And so it, it is, I guess, one of the positives is that people are now really taking note that this isn't just in something abstract, it's happening. I would agree with that. A lot, lot more conversations in Utah about what's happening. So, um, Mr. Curtis, when uh, we spoke in 2020, you had not yet founded the Conservative Climate Solutions Caucus, which you launched last year. Give us an update. How many members do you have mm-hmm. and what's going on? Well, I'm really pleased to um, to share with you and your listeners that we're now the second largest caucus in Washington, D.C., And I think if I'd have told myself, let alone anyone else, that launching a a caucus for Republicans to talk about climate would gain that much support, nobody would have believed me. But I think it really shows you how anxious Republicans are to engage. Um, Sometimes they struggle with how to engage. And I think that's one of the beauties of the caucuses is it it shows them how to engage in this in a really productive way uh, with our other colleagues. And in a way where they don't need to feel like they've left their conservative values at the door. And I think that's uh, really important for them. And so um, it's been a, a great success. We continue. We know we have lots of work to do or we know we'll have a, a fair amount of turnover in Congress uh, this year. We want to make sure we're getting uh, we're growing as we do that. We want to make sure we're having meaningful uh, caucus meetings and 
educating people and making it a, a caucus experience that um, that they enjoy. But Bob will tell you that there's a lot of caucuses in, in Washington and I'm, I'm part of the snowboard caucus and that's a lot of fun to talk about in Provo, but you know, I'm not sure we're changing the world. And so we want a caucus, quite frankly, that changes the world. And uh, so it's fun to be part of that. How many of your caucus members went with you to the COP, the climate COP? So we uh, last year, of course, the caucus was very new. And um, I, I have to count, um, I think there were five of us. It sounds, I think, about right. Um, we are lining up to go to COP again in Egypt uh, with the caucus. I don't have the final numbers, but certainly it'll be a larger group and, and a more prepared group. So you had noted when the caucus was launched last year, I think initially some um, folks in the media were kind of a little harsh, right? Saying that they were members of that caucus that had probably never really uttered the words climate change, which we took that and said, this demonstrates interest, right? You don't, you have to start from somewhere. And as Bob can attest to, um, perspectives can evolve on the issue. You learn something new and you decide to take on an issue. Yeah, I think it's really important as we talk about this to take people where they are. And if we demand that they are someplace uh, along what I would call a continuum, we we just leave people out. And I think this is one of the reasons for our success is, look, I don't care where you are on this continuum. If you want to talk about this, you're welcome to, to come and be part of it. And so my 80 members are everywhere along the continuum, all the way from I'm a little uncomfortable to be here to I'm all in. And I'm okay with that because they're engaging and they're talking. And my experience is that the more they do that, the more comfortable they are and the more they move along that continuum to productive uh, conversations and solutions. And I think that's actually one of the problems in this um, dialogue is we too often use the litmus test of is a climate changing and is man influencing it as a you're in, you're out, uh, right? You get to be part of the conversation. You don't get to be part of the conversation. And and I've found there are many good people who aren't scientists who struggle, quite frankly, with that question, but they're all in to reduce emissions and they're all in to be part of the solutions. And so I don't want to, I don't want to rule them out. Yeah, for sure. I think that that was, you know, it, it was something that disappointed us at the time to see that sort of reaction because we were obviously excited and 80 members is really impressive. I didn't realize it was the second largest caucus. Um, I'm assuming maybe the snowboarders caucus is one of the smaller <laughs> ones. <laughs> but it, I'll tell you, it's a fun one to be part of. <laughs> yeah, I want to go on that code. that. We're recruiting for that one as well. Bob, any snowboarding in South Carolina? <laughs> no, no, but that sounds like a fun caucus for sure. Um, and, uh, and you know, John, I think it's, it's interesting. Back from the days as Mayor Provo, I imagine you've seen a real change in Republicans, conservatives being willing to talk about climate change. I mean, you, you were leading in Provo probably with a little bit of skepticism, but I suppose now with what you're talking about, the challenge of the Great Salt Lake drying up, the um, the experience of climate change is probably an easier conversation to have now with conservatives. Oh, it, it clearly is. But, you know, I, I have to come clean and tell you it's been a journey for me, too. You know, right. Yeah. I, I didn't fully understand this issue when I went to Congress. And as mayor, we were very focused on clean air and it kind of, the you know, the, the, the entry gate for most Utahns is clean air. And uh, of course, there are parallels with, with greenhouse gas emissions, but they're not exactly aligned as the same solutions. 
And um, I, I think that my journey that I made as I, as I went into Congress and kind of shifted gears a little bit from clean air to, to greenhouse gas emissions um, was was longer than I would have liked. And part of my mission is to make that um, a quicker journey for people, to have the facts ready at hand. And, and, and my experiences, I think, has helped me make uh, helped others make that journey a little bit quicker than it took me. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about welcoming people on that continuum, it really, I think, is indicative of the grace that we need to extend to people. I've been extended a lot of grace as a guy who for six years said that climate change was nonsense. All I knew was Al Gore was for it. I was against it. Um, you know, So pretty ignorant, but that's the way it was my first six years, you know. And so I've been extended a lot of grace. And 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 I guess that's what we've got to do for people. We've got to welcome them and say, OK, listen, you it's become obvious now and we need to do something. And so we welcome you to the conversation, right? Rather than saying, well, you dumb, dumb, slow kid, the last one, get it in the class. I mean, that doesn't work, especially in politics, right? If, if, if it's about your ego, sure. That that's fine. Right. If you, if it makes you feel good to say that, that's fine. Yeah. But if it's about solving this problem, we need everybody at the table. And Bob, you know, as well as anybody in DC, if something's not a bipartisan issue, it's, it just, it's near impossible. And to the extent that we can make this a bipartisan issue, everybody should be welcome because if not, we're, we're going to really struggle with solutions. And anything we put forward is only going to be attacked by the other side unless we can figure out how to do it on a bipartisan level. Um, Mr. Curtis, you talk a lot about your district being not just the youngest in Utah, but the youngest in the country. And I wonder how much that has sort of influenced you and helped push you along on your climate journey. I think there's no doubt. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, I, lo- I love to do town halls. I, I've probably done more town halls than maybe all of my colleagues combined, literally hundreds and hundreds. There, there, there are weekends when my staff made me do five town hall meetings. I finally said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill somebody by the end of the fifth one. So we slowed down a little bit on it. But I'll tell you, when you look into the eyes of people that are sitting just a few feet away from you, and, and many of these young people come to my town hall meetings, you can see in their eyes uh, that we're disappointing them. And that they, my district's very Republican and they want Republicans engaged on this issue. And so I think clearly uh, that did help push me um, a, a little bit uh, along the continuum to, 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 um, to represent them. Uh, they want to be represented and they want their, their member of Congress to get this issue and have, have answers, right? Not just look at them and say, I don't know what to do, but to, to, to literally have answers. And I think, you know, there ha- there are some great allies in um, the work that we do at RepublicEN.org, like the American um, Conservation Coalition that are comprised of young conservatives who, you know, are going across the country. They're going to other congressional districts and talking about this issue, too. So we all we, we all know and love Benji Backer, right? And I, I got to tell you, Benji was really helpful on my move along that continuum. And, um, you know, what was really important is, as I was moving along that continuum is that these people met me welcoming me instead of uh, judging me. Yeah. Right. And even today, there's plenty to judge me on. Right. And like <laughs> all of us. Right. And if, if we take that position, we, we all have, you know, the problems and we, we really just need to be more welcoming and say, yeah, let's look, come on board. Let's figure this thing out. Bob, you're going to be in Utah this week or next week, next week. Uh, starting Saturday and uh, into the next week and then back again at the end of uh, September. 
September is Utah month. <laughs> yeah, I've got my hiking shoes out, Bob. Yes, I'm looking forward to being with you. And uh, that's, that's going to be great. Yeah, that for... initial hike that you all took in 2017, was it 2017, I yeah, think? With, yeah, with, with our friends at Citizens Climate Lobby, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the first of our, our official field trips. And so it does feel a little bit like coming home that you get to go and do that again. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. And for those of you who, who don't know Utah, I think in addition to me having so many youth in my district, having the, the, the natural beauty of my district clearly is a, a motivating factor for me and, and somebody that grew up loving the outdoors and, and a great respect for the outdoors. I, I think it's it's hard for Utahns not to care deeply about this earth. Yeah. You had mentioned um, the the troubles experienced by the Great Salt Lake right now as part of the drought, but also Utah's terrain, the mountains and the valleys create a very interesting um, clean air dynamic that I thought maybe you could take a moment to explain to some of our listeners. Yeah, so we do have, it's a combination of uh, being surrounded by mountains, uh, our elevation and our weather patterns. And it's not unusual in the winter to have a, a high pressure system come in and and hold all of the air in. And so think for a moment in, in any city of any size where all your emissions are trapped and, and, and can't escape. And I, you, you find out real quickly just how much you're putting out in that scenario. And so we get, we call them inversions. And, and literally you'll have this, this high pressure system holding in all the immersions and it is yucky. Uh, uh, the breathing is in, and visually and everything is all held in. That can last uh, several days and go away for a day and come back for several more days. It's a it's a big impact on quality of life uh, for those of that live here in Utah. And quite frankly, this goes back to the early days when the pioneers were in the valley and, and burning wood, and they they had inversions then. And 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 people do like to point out like we, we're reducing our emissions dramatically from those days of and, and that and coal, uh, but yet we still have this and it's unacceptable. And we have to keep working to improve that uh, air quality. Especially in a state with so much outdoor activity, it must be especially just disappointing to have your ski plans or your your outdoor plans stymied by something like that. So I I once met with an executive from a a major tech company when I was the mayor, and we were recruiting them into the city, and we were in a building in downtown Salt Lake City, and she looked out the window and saw that yuck, that inversion, and I don't think there's any single factor uh, we, we were successful in bringing them in, but I don't think there was any successful factor that would have a single factor that would have pushed them away as much as that one factor, that quality of life factor, um, despite our beauty and the outdoors and everything that that, that was almost a deal killer. Well, I hope that as we move forward, we can just continue to um, work with folks like you work together to find these bipartisan solutions because you are so right. Whatever we do, we need everybody. We need everyone all in. No one side is going to figure this out alone. And you're not going to figure it out alone. Bob can't figure it out alone. We are stronger when we work together. And I hope that these 80 members on your caucus can um, be a, a loud part of the conversation and that we have success in the coming year, year or two or sooner, <laughs> even sooner if we can. Well, thank you for cheering us on. And uh, I'll, I'll add to that. I also think this is not a a once one solution fix right and not like we're not going to solve this and then be done with it uh this is this is with us for the long term um i I think we're going to have to be careful i'll watch consequences of some of the technology that we're employing 
uh, we'll find out, you know, uh, as we move along that some is better than others and, and life cycle costs. And I, I think we're in this for the long haul. I like to say to people that um, are despondent that you need not worry because there's so much innovation potential in not just in the U.S., but in the world. And where there is a solution and where there is a solution that will make people money, there is a way. <laughs> so true. I was I just came from Iceland and we saw what they were doing with geothermal over there. And uh, I, I believe when we get to the year 2050 and we look back, uh, we're going to be surprised at what got us there, that, that things will have come along in that period of time that we didn't anticipate. Uh, you could talk about fusion and, and things like that and, and just these unknown things. And uh, certainly important that we, we keep applying that, that good old U.S. innovation. Well, maybe we can come back in 2050 and have this <laughs> look back. Hopefully hope we'll all I'm be here. retired. <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I'm here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Congressman. It's, yeah, been it's always a pleasure. Yeah, I hope to do it again with you soon. Great to be with you. See, See you us. soon, Bob. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, host of Citizens Climate Radio. We highlight people's stories. We celebrate your successes. And together we share strategies for talking about climate change. We do all this by hearing from some pretty surprising climate advocates like indie race car driver Aaron Tillitz, choreographer Lynn Newman, and comedian Esteban Gast. We feature politicians, preachers, and poets. And we explore unexpected questions like, what does the Bible say about climate change? How are our pets affected by extreme weather? And what about the children? By focusing our message so much about their future, are we overlooking the real risks our families and communities face today? Citizens Climate Radio is designed to inform you about the many ways people are addressing the causes and impacts of climate change. Subscribe and listen to Citizens Climate Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Did you miss me while I was on vacation? Terribly. You know, I was thinking of you when I discovered the best dessert I've ever had in my life. And that was? They're called pie cones, not pine cones, which would be gross. Pie cones are waffle cones that you pick your pie flavor and you pick your ice cream flavor. And then they're layered together inside the waffle cone. So, for example... I got strawberry rhubarb pie, and then I had this um, main black bear ice cream, which was vanilla ice cream with raspberry and little chocolate chunks in it. Mm. So good. The second time we went, because you know mm. I did not just go once, <laughs> I got peanut butter pie and <laughs> muddy boots. Muddy boots, this is like a main ice cream maker. So muddy boots um, was also vanilla-based ice cream, but with like, peanut butter in it and chocolate chunks again. And I mean, you could have gone blueberry pie, blueberry ice cream. My mom got strawberry or no raspberry lemon pie with coconut ice cream. I mean, so many endless combinations. So delicious. It's all I can think about, obviously. So I know probably what the answer is, but what was the best thing you ate? Your favorite thing you ate while you were there? Lobster oh, roll, clearly. Lobster roll. Clearly, my favorite lobster roll is at a place called the Clam Shack in Kennebunk. It's so right on the water, very unassuming, except you know it's good because the lines are usually very long. Um, 
but they've got it down to an art. So it's not usually very long wait and you just sit by the water and enjoy the view and the people watching. And, uh, yeah, I had two lobster rolls, not both from the same place, but that was definitely the clam shack is the superior lobster roll for sure. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you had that opportunity. I'm glad you got back in one piece and are with us this week because we had conservative climate royalty, John Curtis here on the show again. It was so nice to see him again after, you know, he was our first star, I think, Mm -hmm. of season one. So fun to have him back and hear what he was up to. Speaking of royalty, um, you know, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Queen's passing because not just to mention her for any you know old reason, but because you know she was somebody that that cared about climate causes, and now um, obviously King Charles, <laughs> King Charles now takes uh, takes the throne, and he's somebody that has been always been very active on climate causes in the past too. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't really think of the monarch as using their influence a lot, except that they have their charities and they put a lot of their money into those charities. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. I read something, Price, that her reign of 70 years is one third of all of basically of U.S. history. <laughs> I was like, wow, when you think of it that way, um, pretty remarkable reign that she had. It's insane. 70 years. Absolutely yeah. insane. Let me get to a couple other things real quick. Uh, new members uh, signed up to join us. Obviously, we had the, the week off last week for Labor Day. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, their time off, maybe away, um, you know, just relaxing, enjoying what the holiday is meant for. But some new members that signed up while we were away. Carol H. in Connecticut, Kathleen T. in Missouri, Christopher R. in Utah, Teresa G. in California, and Paul L. in New Hampshire. You can sign up to stand with us, republican.org forward slash join. Speaking of Utah, mention that, uh, you know, again, John Curtis joined us, but Bob is going to be out there uh, next week and then come home for a week and then he's going to be back again. So we're going to, like you said, during the interview with uh, Congressman Curtis, it'd be Utah month. Yeah, well, we just had Indiana month. So it's nice that we have Utah month coming up and hopefully the weather won't be in those triple digits that it has been um, when Bob goes out there. Although I guess being from South Carolina, he's used to that kind of heat. So it's the dry heat, right? And know what they call it? The difference, the dry heat. Yeah, dry heat. But dry heat. <laughs> yeah, a lot going on out there with the you know increase the, you know the, the the searing heat wave. I guess is the only other way to put it. You know, in the droughts. I mean, there's a lot happening around the in the climate space, not just weather, but climate as well. So, going to be awesome. You know, Tom Moyer, uh, a good friend, partnering with several folks out there. Bob's going to do a couple keynotes and uh, talks at BYU, University of Utah, and I think we got Weber State on the agenda for that second week. Uh, he's going to be uh, in the southern part of Utah next week, speaking to a couple of Rotary clubs, and then uh, University or Utah Technical University down in St. George. So we are covering some ground. Bob is covering some ground. I yeah, say. that is a really big, uh, that's a big agenda. It's a lot to do, but this is important work. And it's just nice that we get to be out and about doing these events in person again. It most certainly is. And looking ahead uh, to next week, what do we have on next week's episode? 
Next week's episode, we have two guests, Eli Lear from Our Street Institute and his cat, Mia. (laughs) Just kidding. His cat really isn't in the episode, except that if you have a really discerning ear, you might uh, note her purring every once in a while. She had to sit very close to Eli um, during our conversation. So great conversation with Eli. You know, I think of him as kind of an OG um, market Mm -hmm free market climate guy and to hear what our street is up to. And, and for those listeners who don't really know exactly what we mean when we say free market um, climate solutions or energy solutions, Eli is going to break that down for you. So it's informative, it's fun. And um, if you like cats, this is your episode. They definitely are one of the OGs. That's, that's for sure. They've been around, uh, I don't want to date them or anything, but they've been around before we launched in 2012. Yeah. I don't know well, how much so longer. So actually they launched in 2012 as well. Okay. So I mentioned that in the show and I thought honestly that they had been in business for a little longer than that. But, um, I think it's just because Eli himself has been around for a while that, uh, I had that conclusion. So yeah, they do a lot of great work, not just around energy and and climate, but a number of the big issues of the day. So for those who are not familiar with our street Institute, give them a little look up before uh, next week's episode. Yeah. They have been a good friend for a while. So yeah, definitely stay tuned for Eli Lair, who is the head man over at our street. We will bring that to you next week. We've got a lot more to do this fall. Chelsea, you know, again, like we say it every week, download, listen, subscribe. Uh, It's all about our listeners. We cannot do this without you investing because you all are investors and giving your time to listen to, you know, a weekly episode that goes 25, 30, 35 minutes, whatever it is, usually around that 30-minute sweet spot. Um, We appreciate you giving us your time and your ears to download and listen, which you can do. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can go to our website, republican.org forward slash podcast. Myriad of ways where you can listen to this podcast every single week as we will bring it to you, a new episode dropping on Tuesdays throughout the fall and into the remainder of 2022, Chelsea. So I guess let's step out and we will see you next week. Can't wait to do it again then, Chelsea. See you next week, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.